This morning, we are kicking off our series uh, that we'll be in for the rest of the summer, and it's called Lessons from Leaders. And I am mega excited about this series because all summer long, we're going to be bringing in a different leader from New Life Church to speak on topics of relationships, faith, uh, life, love, uh, a wide spectrum of topics that I think are going to be highly applicable and impactful to our lives as young adults. And this morning, uh, I am privileged to... And we are privileged to have uh, one of the executive pastors of New Life Church here. His name is John Plotner. And, uh, yeah, that's right. Little fan club here. Uh, John is the executive pastor of community here at New Life. And so he oversees uh, everything from small groups to section communities to, you know, the philosophy of how to uh, build relationships as the body of Jesus Christ in a megachurch context. And he does it wonderfully and he does it beautifully. He's a stallion. He's the man. He's a high caliber leader. And I think he's got a ton of amazing things to share with you guys this morning. I respect this guy like crazy. And uh, he's going to bring it. So I want you to make some new life young adult noise for the one and only Pastor John Plotner, everybody. Come on. Hey, am I on? There we go. Good morning, everybody. Hi, Selah. My daughter's in the back waving at me. How are you? Uh, It is so good to be here with you guys. Um, uh, Before I get in... Dive in. I am going to show a picture of my family, so Sailor, you can stay back there and be embarrassed. This is a photo of my uh, family at, uh, anybody know where we are? The Grand Canyon last summer. Uh, it's my wife, Charlene. She teaches high school math here in town, and both my girls are at the same school there at Liberty High School. They're going to be a senior. Sailor's a senior, and uh, Samara is a junior. So that's my family. You always have to, you know, make sure that when you see us, you... Uh, You know who we are when you bump into us on campus here. But I am so excited to be here. I, when Josh asked me to speak, um, I tried to put myself back when I was your age. You know, early 20s. I was single. I was at a small church in Indiana. Uh, I was a high school teacher. That's where my wife and I met. Uh, And I'm trying to remember back to those days. And we had a single ministry at our church. Anybody ever been part of a singles ministry? Good, I'm glad. I'm glad you haven't. Because they can get a little weird. When you put that title on them, they get a little weird. So I love the fact that this is young adults. But I was thinking through, you know, what were the things uh, that I was uh, struggling with and just really trying to find a place. And if you are like me, in a church like this, it's easy to kind of figure out, where do I fit? Anybody shake your head at me if, if you feel that way. You know, everybody else is married. Everything is about families. When you hear Pastor Brady or any of the rest of our pastors speak, they're talking about families. And here I am, all alone, I'm single. What does this have to do with me? Where do I fit? And I remember feeling that way. Uh, Trust me, you always feel that way. Um, But I remember that feeling. And then I remember getting married, and I actually was a worship leader at our church. And I had this kind of sense of, I feel all alone. Um, There's nobody else who has gone through what I've gone. It's, It's probably a little bit of a pity party. You all have probably had that, you know. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody, you know, my life is so unique and so different than anyone else's, and no one gets, gets me and gets my struggles. And I really remember having this strong desire to feel connected, to have someone in my life that would um, mentor me. You've probably heard that word thrown around a lot, but I wanted someone to mentor me. And, and you know, I was a brand new 20-something worship leader, 
no one showing me the way. I was a young person, no one showing me the way, and really having this desire um, to be mentored, to be coached, to have someone who would be a spiritual father, um, or in the term in Proverbs, you know, that someone would sharpen me, iron sharpening iron. So as I was thinking about today, I really wanted to help kind of think through that with you guys and encourage you, what does this look like when you're a 20-something and you have all this in front of you and you know, really the sky's the limit. You can do whatever you want to do. And we live in a culture now where really whatever's on your heart to do, you have the ability to do that. Uh, But how do we get there? And how do we have people around us that support us? So I want to talk today, and I'm kind of titled this Iron Sharpens Iron. uh, And I'll get to that scripture here in a little bit, but it comes from Proverbs 27. And um, first of all, anyone else feel that way? Like I was sharing, wave at me if you you kind of feel like, okay, there's three of you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, I know that you feel that way. So we're going to talk a little bit about how do you get into relationships that are going to encourage you. So I want to look at two different people today that probably modeled that better than anyone else in Scripture. Um, and so I'm going to look at Jesus, and I'm going to talk about Paul as two people that really modeled for us what um, relationships look like. And so uh, Jesus was no doubt the best mentor, coach, spiritual father out there. And when you read scripture and look at it through that lens is what can I learn from him as a leader? Um, The best leader that ever existed was without a doubt Jesus. And what did he do? He found normal everyday guys. If you know the story of the New Testament, he finds these fishermen. And in that day, fishermen are just absolutely about as ordinary as you can get. They didn't have a college degree. They were not theologians. Um, they did not go to temple and speak. They, they weren't leaders, as maybe we would call them. They were normal, everyday guys. And Jesus comes across them on the Sea of Galilee, and what does he say to them? Come follow me, very simply. And what do they do? They, they followed him. And that really is the heart of what it means to be in relationships where they're mentoring relationships. Come follow me, and they followed. And the interesting thing is Jesus is saying that very same thing to us today. And I want to actually read from Matthew 26. So Jesus at this point, so three years of mentoring these young, young disciples, as we call them. And we know the story. He dies. He raises again. And he comes back to them. And in Matthew 28, I want to read this scripture, but I want to back up a couple verses. In verse 16 of Matthew 28, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, let that sink in for a minute. All authority in heaven and on earth. There probably isn't any other place that I can think of. That covers it all. And every bit of authority has been given to Jesus. And what is he about to do? Give them that same authority that he had. He says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so here is Jesus who has all authority in heaven and on earth and gives them this authority and says, now go and do what I've told you. I told you three years ago, come follow me, now go do it. What a great example of mentoring. Someone comes along and says, I think we're all kind of waiting for this kind of thing to happen. Someone to come along and put their arm around and say, hey, come with me. Let me teach you. And that's what Jesus did. And three years later, after spending 24-7 with a lot of them, 
he then says, okay, now you go and do what I've taught you. Now go and make disciples. That word disciple is really kind of what we're talking about in the church. A disciple is really someone who is a follower of Jesus. But how do we become a disciple? It's this mentoring that Jesus does with us and that people do with us that help us become disciples. So uh, the greatest there example is really is Jesus. And so let's look now at um, Paul. And Paul had this younger kind of disciple that he worked with. Anybody know what his name was? Timothy. Um, and so Timothy was young. And if you don't know the story uh, uh, in the New Testament of Paul, but Paul was basically, he was a Jew who had persecuted Christians, and he had this radical conversion experience. And now he's going not back to the Jews, but he's going to the Gentiles, the people that were not Jews, and he's speaking to them about Jesus. And somewhere along the line in Acts 16, um, he found this disciple by the name of Timothy. And I want to read the first few verses I don't have them up here, but the first few verses of Acts 16 says, He found a disciple there by the name of Timothy, son of a devout Jewish mother and a Greek father. So we have this family, where we, and that was, in that time, that was a pretty divisive sort of thing. We have a Greek father, a Jewish mother, uh, and here is Timothy, their son. Friends in Lystra and Iconium all said what a fine young man he was. So Timothy was a great young man. Somewhere along the line, Paul and Timothy meet each other. And I, have, I wonder what this kind of looked like. Did they meet at Starbucks? Uh, did they have this conversation? Um, did Paul recognize Timothy and say, hey, you want me to mentor you? Does Timothy say, hey, I've been looking for this mentor? You know, all these kinds of things that we think of, at least what I thought of when I think of mentoring. Um, how did that happen? Did it just naturally happen? Was there some sort of magic? We don't really know. But I have to, have to wonder what that looked like. But he obviously saw Timothy, and um, he invited him to, basically as Jesus did, come with me. And so Paul and Timothy kind of had this model, I'm going to call it, on how this mentoring relationship worked with the two of them. And these are based on some scripture here. So the first one is parenting. This comes from 1 Timothy 1, 2. To Timothy, so he's writing this letter to Timothy. And he's saying, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So how, how is he referring to Timothy here in the scripture? As a son. So there's this parenting relationship that's happening initially um, with Paul and Timothy. And so what I'm thinking about is I'm thinking about my kids. I've got an 18-year-old and next month will be 16-year-old. Uh, and... How many of you have raised kids? Probably none of you. But let me tell you a little bit of what this has looked like. I know, I know uh, Josh and JC are going through this right now. And Rush has been over at our house, um, and we've watched him. And so I remember what those days were like. But when you are first a parent, you're doing everything for that child. Everything that needs to be done from feeding them to cleaning up after them in every single sense of the word— uh, you're doing that. You are basically in control of what they do and what they don't do. And as they get older, they start to exert their own opinions. And I'm sure Russia's doing that now. And so you're parenting that, but still you're making the decisions. And so there's this, I'm sure, since he refers to him as a son, there's a strong sense of Paul's being pretty directive with Timothy on what we're going to do and what we're not going to do and, and what that's going to look like. But then as that relationship goes on, I'm now with teenagers, it's like, I can tell my kids exactly what they're going to do from sunup to sundown, but that doesn't go over very well. Any of you remember being in your parents' house and you started wanting to spread your wings and 
and had that sense, and they were still trying to treat you like you were five, and you're like, excuse me, or if you went away to college, and then you come back home in the summer, and that's even worse. Um, But there comes a time when that relationship changes from parenting to something different, and now it becomes, and this is modeled again in Paul and Timothy's relationship, it now becomes more teaching. So I'm going to tell you a few things here and there, and it's up to you whether or not you do anything with it. I mean, think about high school. I taught high school for five years. I sit in front of the classroom. I tell students what they need to do, do their homework. But at the end of the day, whether or not they learned the material was really up to them. It wasn't up to me. And so Paul and Timothy's relationship moves now more toward a teaching model. And it says in 2 Timothy uh, 3, 10, and 11, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch. And he goes on from there. He's basically saying, Timothy, you have been a follower of what I've taught you. You now have, you know, I've parented you, I've told you what to do, and now you're actually taking what I've taught you over the years, and you're doing it on your own without me being so directive. And so that's kind of the next phase in what I would call a mentoring relationship, where now it moves from more of a parenting to more of a teaching model. And then the third area is where you're kind of side by side. I'm thinking about my, my kids 18 and 16. It's not going to be very long where they're going to be out of the house and they're going to be completely on their own. And if there's any teaching happening, it's probably going to be them asking, but our relationship is going to change. And I'm thinking about what that was like for my parents. And hopefully some of you in this room, you're now at this point with your parents where it's now this partner. We're now friends. We're now in this journey together. And it looks completely different than when we were toddlers. And so... Paul and Timothy now have this partnering, partnering relationship, and it says in Romans 16, 21, and he now refers to Timothy as what? My fellow worker. He greets you, so do Lucius and Jason, and so Peter, my kinsman. So he's basically now, they're side by side. They're one in this together. And so this can be a progression in relationships where maybe you start in more of a parenting model, then there becomes a teaching model. But you can also jump in at any point in time. You know, you're 20-somethings in this room. You're probably not going to have as much parenting going on. You're probably going to be looking more for a teaching model. But all of your relationships can kind of follow this model that Paul and Timothy had. So let's now talk about iron sharpens iron. So this scripture, uh, Proverbs 27, 17, uh, if you've not heard it before, uh, and if you're reading Proverbs, there's just like these little one-liners. And then he totally changes the subject. But this great little one-liner, before and after, it has nothing to do with this. But he says, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. And so basically, there's this um, philosophy that in relationships, we can sharpen one another. Now, I'm sure if you're like me, you have relationships where this happens. And there are other relationships, maybe that's not happening. And that's okay. I actually heard someone share that your relationship should be about 80-20 kind of balance in the sense that 80% of your relationships should be those sharpening relationships where those people that you're in a relationship with actually make you better. There's always going to be 20% where if you're not careful with these people, they could actually bring you down. But that's really what we're called. We're actually called as disciples of Christ, to make other disciples. And so there's this 20% of people out there that we don't want to totally disconnect from. But if you spend 80% of your time with bad influence, it's going to pull you down. But if you spend 80% of your time with positive influence and then 20% where you can actually minister, you're going to be full and be able to impart to others. Does that make sense? And so when we think about iron sharpens iron, not every relationship is this, but our hope is that 
even those 20% relationships that you have is the goal is, can we move along in this relationship so that I can be a part of sharpening them so that becomes one of those 80% at some point in time. So what, and as I was thinking about this, what are the characteristics, if you will, looking back at Jesus, looking back at Timothy, and then kind of using some of my own experience, what are these characteristics of iron sharpens iron relationships? So I've come up with a few of these. So the first one is, Growing as a leader means that you have iron sharpening iron relationships. Let me ask this. How many of you want to grow and be a, be a better leader? Okay, awesome. First of all, I want to make sure you realize all of you are leaders. Now, that does not mean you're standing up in front, maybe teaching. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have a high, um, you know, a job where you have high influence. Every one of you have influence over someone. Someone is watching you. And you are a leader by that mere fact. And so because of that, we all want to grow. I want to be a better example. I want to be a better witness of Christ. I want to be a better disciple. So how do I do that? I have to grow. And so growing leaders uh, means that we have iron sharpening, iron relationships. Uh, We all need to have a balance of relationships that contribute to our growth while in turn, in return, contribute to theirs. So true iron sharpening iron relationships isn't just about what I get. And it's not about just what I give. You probably have relationships like that where you're getting everything. And there are other relationships where maybe you're giving everything. And what we want to make sure is that you have a good 80% of your relationships that are this balance so that you're giving away and you're getting something. How many of you know that when you give something away to someone else, you actually grow and get better as a result of that. We were designed to give something away. And so if all of your relationships are take, 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 first of all, people will not want to be around you after a while. And maybe you're that kind of, I call those people needy. Maybe you're one of those people. And why do people kind of cycle in and out of my life? Uh, And maybe it's because you perceive every relationship as something you can get from it. What if we went into relationships saying, not only what can I get, but what can I give to this person? All right? So we all need to have a balance of those. Uh, in a healthy, iron-sharpening, iron relationship, each person should feel they're gaining the most. This is good for marriage as well. Marriage should be, and those of you that are not married in the room, marriage should be an iron-sharpening, iron relationship. And each person should feel like they're getting more than the other person is getting. That's truly what the relationship is about. So, how does this work? How many, of you, how many of you have someone you'd consider to be a spiritual father or mother, a mentor, a coach, someone like that? Raise your hand if you have that person. Awesome. Good number of you. How many of you would like to have one of those people? All right? And those of you that have them, how would you like another one? We always could use more, absolutely. So I remember when I was your age and I was thinking about this and having this desire, I wish someone would help me. Would someone coach me and teach me? And I have this, and my personality, if you've taken Myers-Briggs, mine falls into the idealist mode, meaning that I think everything is kind of rosy and perfect, and there's this ideal out there. And I've learned in life that I kind of default that way, but life isn't that way. So I was waiting for this one magical person for me to run into somewhere or someone to introduce me to this person that would be this ideal mentor that would solve all of my problems. Anybody ever feel that way? Where are they? Okay, I see head nods. I never found them. 
still looking, but that person does not exist. And so what I learned looking back is that there isn't like this ideal one person out there that can give me everything I need other than Jesus. There isn't this ideal person out there. However, there are lots of people around me. Could I just tap into something from these various people that I have contact with? So over the years, I've, I've um, turned my approach on this to, I like this about that person, and I want to learn from them. And I like this about that. So I have this multitude of people, and I'll tell you a little bit more about some of them here in a minute, but uh, I have a multitude of people, and not just this one person that, you know, gives it all, if you will. For example, there might be one person over here that tells me how to be a better parent, but someone over here is teaching me how to be a better pastor, uh, because none of us are perfect, and we're all still growing. So that's kind of, my approach has changed over time. I even learned that, you know, people that you don't agree with, you can learn from. Think about that for a minute. People that you don't agree with, you typically don't want to be around. But if you ch- turn that relationship, actually my friend Caleb here is in the back, uh, and we were actually having a text conversation about this, is as I've gotten older and maybe a little bit wiser, I realize that people that don't have the same philosophy about everything that I do, actually I can learn something from them. At the end of the day, I may not change my mind, but I can still learn something. So even people that you're not in 100% agreement with, can help you grow. So, you're going to bump into people that will be those iron sharpens iron relationships. And so, here's what I want you to look at is, what are some key um, relationships that will help and sharpen you? First of all, I'm just going to let you read that. And let that soak in. If I've had one observation from my own life when I was your age, and from people, millennials in general, and I know you all get a really bad rap. I apologize for that. Um, this is probably, if you don't address this in your life, will be to your detriment. You will never be who you are meant to be in Jesus as a leader if you hang out, hang out with people your own age all the time. Now, I'll be honest. Hanging out with older people is uncomfortable. We're not cool. We can't fit into skinny jeans anymore. Um, And all those people that are my age that can, I hate them. Um, Not because I want to wear skinny jeans, but I just can't. Um, But you get the idea. There's so different than you. And that's what's beautiful about it, is there's so much you can learn. And the older you get, the more you'll realize that. And if I could go back and do anything differently, that would be something that I would do differently, is I would be intentional when I was younger to spend more time with people that were older. And that's what's beautiful about the body of Christ is that there are lots of old people here. And I'll give you some practical things that I'd suggest that you do as we move along on this. But, so here are three key relationships that I think you should have to sharpen your life. First of all, you should have someone older. And when I say someone, I'm not saying one. It can be a multitude of people. It might be a couple. Uh, I always say this, like, go up to someone, and that's what I love about section community you're going to see a cross-section. When you go into any section in our church, a cross-section of young people, old people, and everything in between, go up to someone who's older and ask them, could we go to lunch? I'm not going to promise you that they, might say, they may not say no, but I will guarantee you, if you ask five people, someone will say yes, and I'm going to, I'm going to almost guarantee you that the, within the second one, someone's going to say yes. Particularly if you say you'll buy it. 
And then if they're a really good older person, you'll get there and they won't let you, okay? But it is worth the money and don't take them to, um, you know, Freddy's. Take them somewhere a little nicer. Save up your money because there is value in spending time with these people. But ask them to go to lunch. Um, I've heard stories of um, actually um, cadets at the Air Force Academy over here. How many of you are, anybody cadets? They're prone. Okay, awesome. And you have this mentoring for when you first year, if you want to, where you can be part of mentor families. And there's a family here in our church that met that way. And every Sunday, this cadet goes to dinner at this family's house on Sunday afternoon just to be part of it. You probably, if nothing else, could use some good home-cooked meals. So have someone older in your life, um, and I'll tell you some things that you need to do when you meet with them here in a couple minutes. Have someone your own age. And when I just, I'm not just being like, find someone in this room, but really an iron sharpens iron relationship. Someone your own age that you can be honest with them, they can be honest with you, they can tell you the truth when it hurts. So someone your own age, someone older, you can guess what the last one is. Someone younger, okay? And, you know, you, you guys aren't 50. I'm 48, going to be 49 this year, almost 50. I remember as a kid thinking 50 was old. So I'm, I'm like moving into the, the, to the, what I thought was old era now. But there is someone younger than you. It may not be as dramatic maybe for me. It's easier for me to find someone younger than maybe you. But there's somebody in high school. Go, I know some of you guys went over and served in junior high a few weeks back. Find one of those junior high students. Make sure it's okay with mom and dad. And say, hey, can I take you out for ice cream? Can we just go hang out and go to Dutch Bros? Whatever it might be. They don't like Starbucks. They like Dutch Bros. Um, but find someone younger. Because, again, if you're giving what, you know, whatever small amount that you've been given, and you know what it's like to be a junior high student. It hasn't been that long. What can you impart to a junior high student? And if you give, what does Scripture say? If you give, it will come back to you. So even if, you're, if you have no one your age or no one older, you have the ability to find someone younger and begin to mentor them. And if you give, I truly believe that God will give it back to you and put mentors around you that are your age and that are older. All right, so what happens when you, when you meet with these people? Here's a few practical, practical things. Um, before I do that, um, let me tell you a little bit about those three relationships. I'll actually go back to the last screen. Uh, those three rela- relationships for me. So someone older. Uh, actually, here at church, we have the, the dream team. Any of you gone through the dream team process to volunteer? A guy comes through. His name's Will. And Beth, who's our volunteer director, says, you need to meet with this guy, Will. I'm like, why? She goes, I don't know. There's just something about him on paper. He's been the CEO of a couple of different companies. He's now the chairman of the board of a, a NASDAQ-listed company in Minnesota. And he goes, you just, he says, I know you. I'm reading my, I think you guys should meet. So randomly, email this guy, have this meeting. Will has become this older person for me. He's a new lifer. And I will take him to lunch. I will buy his lunch. And I will just begin to ask him questions. And I cannot even explain really what, what happens. He is just, if you've been around someone who's just wise and you're just standing around them and you feel like you're better f- for just being near them. And that's the way I feel when I'm around Will. But there's I remember a couple of leadership issues that I had. So I'm going to ask Will. So I'd say, hey, Will, can we go to lunch? I'd say, what would you do about this? And he does a lot of listening. I do a lot of talking. And then he gives me these little zingers, you know, 
of have you, and usually it comes back with another question. Have you ever thought about doing this? You know, really wise people ask more questions versus giving lots of answers. And they're typically the quietest people in the room. So look for the quiet people. Look for the people that ask lots of good questions. Take them to lunch. So Will is that older person in my life. Uh, someone my age, actually, before I worked here, I worked at a place called Church Community Builder. It's really right, right across the street here. And um, the guy that hired me, his name was Dave. And Dave is another one of these guys. It's hard for me to explain who Dave is. But Dave is this amazing leader um, that just has this ability to see things in people and pull them out and hire amazing people. And he built this amazing team, all of us that work together. And um, same thing, we'd be in a meeting and Dave would ask questions or make a simple statement. And I'm just like, Dave is actually a couple years younger than me. And I said, when I grow up, I want to be like Dave. You ever have those kind of people where it's like, when I grow up, I want to be like that person. Um, so Dave is that person that's the same age in my life. And then someone younger, uh, there's this guy by the name of Barack. He was uh, our youth pastor back in Indiana. Uh, and he started, the youth pastor, he's probably your age, Jacob, and started, we hired him as the youth pastor. Very young, um, very immature, grew up in the middle of nowhere. Now he's in this church of about 1,200. And, um, but he would take many of us, but I can remember him taking me to lunch again. He, he paid, that's the key, pay people. Uh, he took me to lunch, and he literally, I would have trouble getting my food eaten because he would nonstop pepper me with questions. And he had his moleskin, and he was just writing down as fast as I was talking the, the entire time. Now, he, that was probably 15 years ago. He's a senior pastor at a church in Indiana now. Just the other day, he texted me and said, can we talk, and spent an hour on the phone. And same thing. He's just peppering me with questions. Um, and I don't know, I'm just guessing along the way. But it's these relationships where it's probably more about what, it's not what's said often, but it's more about just that relationship where you know you have this person to go to that you can gain something from. So I encourage you, find those three people. And when you get with them, here's what you're going to do. You're going to ask questions. And I, it's not, some people are natural question askers. Any of you feel like you're good at asking good questions? Not very many. Most of us aren't. So I would, I would encourage you, practice and, and start making a list. Have them in your back pocket. Have them on your phone. And a list. So if you bump into someone after the service that you want to ask questions, what are kind of your go-to questions to ask? What's your, big, what's your biggest regret in life? Talk about a loaded question. But anybody that has any sense of wisdom is going to, you know, if you could do anything, if you were my age again, and you could do anything differently, what would you do? Wow, what great questions, and then wait for them to answer. So asking good questions, um, become a master at that. Brock was the best. Um, I actually wrote a blog about Brock and his answering, asking questions all the time. Then journal, write those down. If you're around any kind of godly person with wisdom, they're going to have a lot to say, and you will not remember. You'll remember, remember 5% of it. Write it down in the moment. And so always be ready. Uh, I remember a good leader saying, like, you never walk into someone else's office without something to write with. And office is maybe a more general term, but it can be any place. You know you're going to run into somebody on Sunday morning. Make sure you have something to write with. When Brady gets up to speak or Pastor Josh gets up to speak, have something to write with because uh, there are little nuggets of wisdom that you can go back to um, and refer to. And the third thing is observe. 
you know, oftentimes, I remember being a young leader, and you'd be in a circle of people, and you want to feel like you're valuable and you have something to contribute. You know what I'm talking about? And so our tendency is to share whatever we have and bring something to the table. We're the first to talk. Um, The best leaders are the ones that are the quietest in a room and the ones that are observing the most and writing those things down. And so become a good observer. One of the things I've done is I look at people as like, I admire that person and their leadership. And then, that's very general, but then what is it about that person? You know, for example, I think a lot of us would say, you know, Pastor Brady, I mean, look at this church. If you know the story of New Life and the fact that we're still here and we're thriving, it's a big deal. What is it about Pastor Brady's leadership? Like, oh, I admire him as a leader. What is it? And so be on this journey to observe what other people are doing and then unpack it. You know, for me, it was Dave always asked good questions. Brock asked. So that's kind of a common thing. People ask good questions. Um, But how do they carry themselves in the room? What are the things they say when they do ask questions? What kinds of questions do they ask? Are they talking about themselves? Are they asking about other people? All these kinds of things. Be a great observer of people, and that's how you will grow as a believer, as a Christ follower, but as a leader as well. So, let's talk about how we can apply this. So, I have a few questions for you guys. I know you're kind of your normal drill at this point in time is to kind of unpack this at your table. So I have three questions for you. Number one, who in your life is sharpening you that is older than you, the same age as you, and that is younger than you? And some of you may not have good answers for that. But if you do, the rest of you at the table share who those people are and why they're important. Now, I'm not just talking about people in your life. Notice it says that are sharpening you. Those, that's the key here. Who is sharpening you? Second, as a group, I just talked about great questions as a group, and this will help you. You're not doing this alone. Identify five great questions that you can have in your back pocket that will help you grow as a disciple and as a leader. I just gave you two just a few minutes ago. Can you, can you remember them? Did you write them down? Uh, number three. And so if you didn't answer very uh, distinctly with number one, number three, what will you intentionally do to develop iron sharpening, iron relationships with others. Those your age, those that are younger, those that are older. And more specifically, how will you develop those in our church? Okay. Questions? Go. All right. Hit it, guys. All right. Lots to chew on there, no doubt. Um, How many of you would say after Pastor John's teaching this morning, you can walk away with something tangible, something to apply to your life this week? Anybody? Come on, show of hands. Yes. Pastor John, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for bringing that. Man, that was rich. The the thing that I'm taking away from this is I've never heard that 80-20 principle. I think that's beautiful, that blend between... Uh, you being sharpened, and then you having relationships where maybe it's more about sharpening them. Because that's evangelism, isn't it? That's beautiful. If we skew too much um, towards us getting sharpened, then we're kind of, that sets us up at times to be poor witnesses to others, you know, because we're isolated and we're in a bubble and we're not reaching out. So beautiful. So good. Um, well, I'm going to pray for us, and uh, we're going we're gonna to dismiss here, but I just want to pray that all of this would seal in our hearts and that God would uh, continue to unpack these ideas to us. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll dismiss here.
Father, we thank you so much for the power of your word. Uh, We thank you that your word gives us life and your word gives us truth. And your Holy Spirit with the word guides us into all truth. And Lord, I thank you that we can all take away something from this morning. And I pray that we would be the people who press into those relationships. God, let us be the people who press into relationships with older people, with the people our age, with people younger than us. God, let us be the people who intentionally pursue iron sharpening iron relationships. God, let us not leave this place and and have feel-good feelings. Woohoo, yeah, awesome. But let us be doers of the word, as James says. God, let us put this into practice. And in doing so, I pray that we would be positioned in life to receive uh, new dimensions and to, to enter new dimensions of growth and life and, and challenging and uh, an expansion in uh, our leadership, in our relationships, and in our relationship with you, Father. We thank you for all that you've spoken to us and pray that you would uh, make them concrete in our hearts. And would you send us out here as people who pursue iron sharpening iron relationships. And may we be better for it and may your kingdom be advanced through it. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen and amen.